But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passage of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Morning, church. Happy New Year, if you haven't heard me say that. It's good to be with you. And uh, in a new series uh, called Sojourners, as we study the book of 1 Peter. Um, I say it different from you, but it maybe highlights the point of Sojourners. So um, I'm going to say Peter, and you say... Okay, praise God. That's weird. All right? That's, you say it strange. So... I'm going to read, I want to open up with reading this, and I just love for us to stand uh, just to honor the Word of God as we open the Word of God together. Uh, we're just going to do this throughout the series just to, just to highlight this. If you have your Bible with you, open it up. Otherwise, we're going to have it up here, but First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 1, here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles, who are sojourners of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. You had Peter send this message, this church, but you intended for it to be read to all churches. And so as we sit, stand here today, reading words that were blessing people a couple of thousand years ago, 
and have touched the hearts of every generation that followed Jesus from then till now. We are pausing today because it is moving to consider this, what we're a part of and how much you care about us and our little trials. And it's awesome to ponder how much of a plan you have for our lives. So we pray for these few precious moments that we have together today, that you uncover a few of the amazing truths and do a work in us to move us to change as we see your truth. And we pray for anyone that has come into this moment not knowing you without God, without hope in this world. And we pray that you would draw them to yourself. We pray for doors to be opened up to lead them into a life of following you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a treasure trove here in First Peter to uncover and it's extremely important for us to capture I would say the essence of the message the preparation in which um, Peter uh, was implying and and giving great um, time for all of the church to consider and so uh, I have just been and, and reading this just thinking about for us here today and hearing this how we might receive that and how we might Uh, interact with such a word, Uh, especially this time of year. Um, When you think about your year up to this point, I imagine like me, you didn't do a whole lot, maybe you did, maybe you're different, uh, of preparing yourself for trial, anticipating that this year would not look great. So you prepared yourself for not a great year. Usually we do the opposite, right? January or December, we do a lot of thinking and maybe uh, renegotiating with our brain uh, what it should look like to be maybe walking in better things, right? Sometimes we can get even caught up in things that we perceive or have been things that have been sold to us as like uh, the silver bullet or the, the... Uh, elixir that can take care of everything. If you just do this, all these things will just be so much better. Right? Uh, This is the time when if you are scrolling on social media, there's all kinds of uh, things being thrown your way. If you would do this, uh, your life will be better. And that's, that's the picture. And sometimes we think... Uh, we're focused on what this thing that we need to change is or the thing that we need to adopt in our life. That's, that's where we think our focus is. But I would say mostly what is being sold to you is the fear that you're missing out. That there is a better life being experienced. And, and maybe I'll go a little bit further to say this, that, that they're selling heaven on earth, a heavenly experience now, And you say, if I can have that here and now, why wouldn't I? And I don't want to. I don't want to be the wet blanket or the burster of bubbles today. And I'm not. That's not why I'm saying what I want to say right now. It is good for you to do a new fitness regime. Praise God. Uh, It is. It is good for you to invest in time, like new diet, uh, new structure of uh, how you eat or whatever. Listening to, especially like going into it uh, with eyes wide open, with your doctor, with friends, with family. Uh, It is really good to think about our health. 
But it is amazing how we can get to believing and pulled into what I will say is a disguised lie in behind this time of year. It's small, but it can be a motivator, and so we must be careful. If you're motivated by a lie, that's not good. So with that, what is the lie? How do I see it? How do I know if I'm being motivated by a lie? Well, really the elixir or the the sale, the pitch is A plus B equals C, meaning it is very, very, very simple. You are being sold something that says, if you do this, if you take this out of your life and add X, see what you get to is the better life now, your hope, in other words, should be in this thing to get you what hard work should have got you sooner. And we all go, yeah, we've heard this all before. But I want you to notice in the background of that, the heavenly life is accessible by some other means outside of Christ and the place that he is preparing you for, and I mean in your attitude and heart and mind, right now for this year, that lie actually could trip you up and not set you up to be where you need to be this year in your mind, your heart, and emotions, and especially spiritually. It actually could become a stumbling block This place will never be heaven. This is a tough thing for me to say because many of us geared ourselves up to experience heaven on earth this year. We are doing new things because we expect our health to be coming towards perfection. I'm doing all the things, Bryce. I'm eating all the right stuff. I'm exercising every muscle. Okay, praise God for you. (laughs) That's awesome. What's your expectation of where that will take you? Because as I read through what Peter's saying, he's saying Jesus didn't promise you heaven here on earth. And yet we can gear our emotions, we can gear our finances, we can gear our expectation and put all our hope in heaven here if we're not careful. We can build a kingdom here if we're not careful. When Peter is saying, hey, there's a kingdom being built and awaits you as Jesus prepares a place for you and that is where your hope should lie and that is where your passion should be. It is the theme that First Peter is going to present and if you're not careful, you'll miss it because our culture and our world that we live in sells something so opposite of what Peter is presenting. And so I kind of coming across a little solemn this morning because it hit me every time I open this passage just how far our world has drifted away and how and you might have seen the title this morning, 
how we as believers today live in a modern day Babylon. We are truly exiles, sojourners, strangers in this place as followers of Christ because our hope is not that heaven is here or that we can build a place so heavenly here, a life so heavenly, a health so heavenly, so perfect. Our enemy is the king of lies because that's all he can do. He can twist the truth and manipulate it. And, and so I, for me, I, I think immediately what comes to me is John fourteen six. as I think of just shifting my heart. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to keep that in front of me. And so I want to, and as I do, I ask myself, do you want to make yourself perfect and create a heavenly place here on earth? Because if that is my motive, if that's what I'm trying to do, I am not living out the Christian mission. Christian mission, it is to recognize we are sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the more people that know, the more people will go to the place that Jesus prepares for us and will spend eternity with him, not separate from him. You might have brought into this lie that, 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 that exists in our culture and brought it here to church. That is why you can't find the perfect church because you expect perfect people to be somewhere. Other people that are pursuing perfection. But perfection is on the other side of where we go to see Jesus. And so we exist as an imperfect people following a perfect Jesus doing all we can to bring as many with us as possible. Amen? We assemble together to celebrate a perfect God who loved us in spite of our imperfection. Come on. That's motivating. That is the reason to worship him. That's why we sang, right? Earlier, I love that song, fighting my battles like it, it, he's fighting these battles with us right now and, and I'm doing it with this perspective I know he's already won and I have hope in Jesus it compels us to build a relationship with him which is changing us to be more like him even though we know we won't make it to perfection this side of heaven we still give ourselves to it because he gave himself fully to us the emphasis here, and I wanted to make, is that Peter is wanting us to catch this. That we're actually promised on this side of heaven, in our pursuit of him, trials. Trials. Peter is writing this letter, led by the Holy Spirit, because of this fact. You and I following Jesus will mean we will have trials. But thankfully, this book is not one chapter or one paragraph. <laughs> as solemn as I seem right now, as I've been contemplating this and, and delivering it to you, um, there is so much hope. There's so much joy in that Pete and Peter is going to unpack it, the reason we have joy and should have joy and should have hope. And so I want to unpack that. I want to look at it real quick with you this morning. I want to go to... 
back to this passage we just looked at and, and just note a few things. And I think there's, there's a lot, um, but we'll do, I'll do my best to get through this for us today to get our perspective heading into trials, I think the way that Peter desired for us. And that starts with the, ver- the verse one, um, and that is that we know this is Peter, and Peter delivering this message actually makes it more sweet. That the Holy Spirit would in- in- empower Peter to give this. We know a little bit about Peter if you've been studying the Gospels. Maybe it's your first interaction with Peter. But we, we actually studied Mark recently. You guys enjoyed that one? That was cool. So we looked at the person of Peter. So I wanna, don't want to pause too long if you want to get more context there. The study on Peter, they're going to do a more deep dive on Peter. But, but how do we know it's Peter? Well, his name's on the book, but that's not how we know. Um, there wasn't books originally. It didn't all come like this. It was on a scroll. And so when we think about this, um, back in the old days, um, when they wrote scrolls, um, not like us, they didn't write, like when we wrote letters, uh, or when, when we used to write letters, remember that, guys? <laughs> uh, we wrote, and in our emails, sometimes you do this, you just scroll down like it's from this person, so maybe you skip it or you ignore it or whatever. But um, with Peter and with all those people writing scrolls, they put it at the top. Right? So you're going to read this as you read the letters and the Gospels, you're going to hear, I, Paul. I, Peter, we wrote, you know, dear whoever we're addressing. It's kind of backwards. And at the end of the letter, you know, XOXO, you know, from Bryce or whatever, whoever it was. I remember writing letters to Christina in college and um, the most letters I ever wrote. Uh, she was in North Carolina and I was in college and I would write our school, you know, from Elam and I'd put a little I with a heart over it, you know, and it was, it was great. But that's that's like that's old. Is that old school, writing letters? Yeah, we should we should get we should get that back, shouldn't we? But when they wrote letters in the old old days, they put it up front. And when you were in these days, you were living in these days, and, and there was exile was was happening, and Peter's name is at the top of this. The recognition that Peter has is instantly. Apostle Pete. Like, this ain't just any Peter. This is the Pete, right? The guy who was putting his foot in his mouth. He's the one that was with Jesus. He's the one that was on the water with Jesus. This is, this is the Pete. So when you see I, Peter, no uh, second name, no like explanation, it's just Peter. Everybody's like, oh, Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Like this is Peter, the small rock. That Peter. So the recognition was instant. And, and we, 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 as we read this, we should recognize this. Like Peter was so renowned. He was so well known. We know this same Peter preached. We see it in Acts and 3,000 people come to know him. So as he writes, they might be one of those 3,000 or a relation to one of those 3,000. They heard about the sermon that Peter gave and 3,000 I mean, 3, people is big today. You can imagine then 3,000 people in the city then. That's huge. I remember hearing a comparison, a preacher saying, like 50,000 people in a major city here today. Giving a message, no one knows Jesus but a handful of people and 50,000 people hand their lives to Jesus. You know what? People are going to talk about that. Peter was known. And so, 
you know, if I write a letter to our town and I write, yes, I, Bryce, how many people go, oh, Bryce? <laughs> like even our small town, you can start to get an understanding of the power that is in that statement alone. I, Peter, it's not prideful. He just knows and he's been instructed by the people around him. Peter, no more explanation needed. Like, don't tell us who you are. Don't tell us the backstory. Like, everybody knows who you are. Just write Pete. All right? We got it. Imagine opening up a scroll or hearing someone open a scroll and you're in town in the market. You're trying to just do life and someone starts reading. I, Peter. What? You imagine spinning around and hearing like, the Peter addressing our town. And you hear your town read out. You're in exile and you hear Galatia. You're like, what, us? Peter's writing to us? So Peter does this on purpose. He writes with his name to these people and he writes to them on purpose because they are sojourners. They're people who now find themselves alone in exile. He wrote uh, like this, to those who are elect exiles who are sojourners of the dispersion into Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He writes to these people and he names them or he gives them a name. Uh, Peripedemos is the, is the word he uses which means exiles or sojourners, aliens could be another way you could translate that, or strangers, foreigners. And unbeknownst to him, he's thinking, he knows these people in Galatia are strangers to their, where they are, They're, they feel like strangers, they feel alone because he knows what journey they have been on and because he knows what it means to be alone. Peter, in the first two verses, is speaking to a group of people that I'm sure he identifies with their pain instantly. When he says strangers, when he, he says, hey, you, you guys feel alone, you feel a little bit out, the guy who disowned Jesus, who said he never would, the guilt and shame that he carried as he probably went back into that room with his fellow disciples, followers of Jesus. How outside he must have felt. How strange it would have been to be amongst them again and to be calling himself one of them even though he disowned his Jesus. Peter fully identifies with stranger, foreigner, alone. And so he addresses them as one of them. We call the series Sojourners because I want to make sure we understand a few things. Like this is a preparing statement. It is a preparing message that Peter is giving us. He is labeling us this for a reason. That all believers following Jesus for all time. He didn't know it, but the Holy Spirit knew it. For all time will feel as we follow Jesus like loners at some point. And as loners, people who feel like foreigners, amen, living in a foreign place where everybody believes different than we do, 
there are some important things for you to note, to remember, to grab hold of. We feel like maybe we're the only Christian in school, the only Christian in your class, maybe the, the only Christian in your work or environment. You step out of your Christian uh, owner's uh, workspace and instantly you go onto a job site where all the other people that you're running into are unbelievers and there's language and things being said that are that are foreign to your household foreign to your standard of living and so you recognize in those moments how foreign you are you walk down the grocery aisle and and hear the conversation and it echoes the fact that you are a loner a stranger in this place You feel like you're the only Christian standing. The only Christian passionate about what you're passionate about. There's all kinds of aloneness. You feel like church should be this or you feel like our community should be more like this and so you feel alone. You put yourself in that bucket of aloneness. Peter wanted us to understand that being sojourners in this place actually is a good fit. Even though I've said to you multiple times and if not a hundred times, community matters and we should not be alone. There is, as we walk as sojourners, a reality that we will feel alone a lot of the time. In our struggle, in our trial, in your circumstance, no one's, no one's walked my road, Bryce. No one knows the pain that I have felt. No one knows the trials, Bryce, that I have faced with the relationships I have in life. You're right. In that, you will feel alone. And Peter has a follow-up. But God. But God. And we're gonna see it all the way through Peter as he gives us the uh, reminder of what Jesus says as he's standing there on the side of the hill and he goes to be with the Father, I will not leave you alone. Even though you feel like it and you live in a foreign land and aloneness is, is just emanating the situation you're walking through or the trial you're in, the echoing thought of Peter that he wants us to grab hold of is this, the message of Jesus. I will not, say will not for me, leave you alone. John 16, 32, Jesus knew it. And so it records here, behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each of his, uh, to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What a promise. Sometimes we feel scattered. If you feel a little isolated, that is the point. We're assembled in our assembly, as I said last week. We're gathered where the church drawn together. All of us who are in this moment are heeding the biblical admonition to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So good job. You followed God's word. You, you did not give up meeting together. Here we are in this room. It's like a salt shaker, Right? We're all salty, should be. And so as we get together and, and we're moving and we're praising God, it's a salt shaker. Increasing our saltiness. 
We can stay here and we can expect or we could say, hey, we should just have heaven here. We should just praise God all the time, right? Let's not leave the room. Let's just bring the food in, praise God. Except that's not it. We are called to be sojourners. And so we are scattered every week. We go out these doors, into these streets, into these places where we work, into these situations and trials, and we say heaven is what we put our hope to, not what we'll experience right here, right now. We're gonna keep our hope set on Jesus. We're gonna have heaven invade our situations. We're gonna see God move and the Holy Spirit move But the point is that the salt moves out into the world so that they experience heaven in us and we take them with us to that place. For that to happen, again, I say the salt has to go out. We are to be scattered into the world, scattered into our workplaces, sent on mission as Jesus' followers. If we stay here and we live for heaven on earth, the mission will go a-missing. The mission will be missing. We don't do any good to each other when we're all around each other too long. It's like a slumber party, right? Like nothing good happens after midnight. Like there's a point in which you should just say, all right, bedtime. Or, hey guys, it's the next day and you're playing so well and now it's time to go home. Been there. Anybody else? Because people together too long, right, you start to just get annoyed with one another. If we are in this room and we just do community with one another, guess what? You will annoy me. And likely I annoy you. You'll be like, gross. It's good for us to take a break. It's good for us to say, hey, I'll see you at small group on Tuesday night, right? See you then, see you later. Good job, give me some space, right? I need more Jesus, I'm gonna take myself to the Bible and man, that person really annoying, right? And God's gonna, what that trial is gonna do, it's gonna produce something in me, some more perseverance to put up with you more. Hopefully. I mean, I'm, I'm saying hopefully I do that work with Jesus. Not to experience heaven on on earth, but to experience the community that Jesus intended for me to experience with you so we can be more effective for his glory. Amen? We, living in marriage, like if you're a married couple here, you know this all too well, right? You need a break from one another. It's good for us to get out and do things that God wired us to do you to do specifically, what you're called to do. Us scattered is more better than us just hunkering together, praising, worshiping God and being like, yeah, kumbaya. It's just not as cool. If we all come together and do this, it's way better if we get out and do what God calls us to do. Amen? Acts 2, 42, what happened? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Heaven on earth. Whoa, this is awesome. I love you. You love me. Yes. 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. People got healed. Heaven on earth. Wow. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 
They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes in the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added their fellowship, those who were being saved. And we go, yes, we should just do that. So why didn't Peter just keep doing that? Isn't he right there? Why didn't Peter just sit the church up right there and they just keep doing that? Well, we know that in 64 AD, around about that time, right, Nero came in. He was nuts. He burnt the Jerusalem and, and a lot of the city, the Roman like, empire, and, 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 and all that was happening within the Roman just, just meltdown, we'll say it that way, meant that Jews and, and followers of Jesus were persecuted like never before. So this is, this is years after this moment, <clears throat> yet they're already scattered. We know that because Peter addresses them in all different places. Peter's attention was in regions where, where followers and believers were already scattered, but the persecution arrived and even more of them scattered. And, and history tells us that believers, followers of Jesus, at the time when Peter's writing this, even were hiding in the mountains, in caves, living in community with one another, but also mostly relying on communities where there were no Jews, no support system. <clears throat> they were truly alone. They were foreigners. <clears throat> Excuse me. The necessity of recognizing we are sojourners, I think is an imperative to our mission. Peter never intended, Paul never intended, the, the, the disciples that were there in Acts 2 never intended for us to stay in this blissful heaven on earth moment. The point was, and the point is, that we should be scattered and take what God does in us and with us out into the world. First Peter 2, 2, as you go out, Peter says this to the believers. Reading this letter, he says, so scattered sojourners so get rid of all evil behavior be done with all deceit hypocrisy jealousy and all unkind speech like newborn babies you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into all experience of salvation cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the lord's kindness and he's what he's describing is okay you've tasted the lord's kindness you've received salvation it is great now now you're gonna to have to live out there in the world and you're going to be and should be different from them, so flee from all of this. And we have all the letters from Paul and Peter and others that are, that are pointing us to this different life and giving us instruction on how to live different as people living as foreigners. We are living in the modern day Galatia, Babylon, even right now, today. And that instruction, the instruction we get in First Peter to me is so pertinent to right now that I would love for us just to get this point, that we are sojourners and that there, are, there is a way to live as foreigners. There's a specific way Peter and Paul had in mind. And I, I was looking at just taking this from uh, some of Paul's writings and I, then I remembered when I'm talking about Babylon, let's just go back and see how Daniel did it because Paul just stole Daniel's notes if you look at it. So just real quick, if you want to turn your Bibles to Daniel, 
chapter one. You'll see here they're exiled, they're, Babylon's taken over, and Babylon is this place that throughout scripture um, is described as this place, this stronghold against God or this, good, this force, if you would, <clears throat> that is against the people of God, the things of God. And so Daniel is now living the, in this Babylon and he is being trained up <clears throat> and fashioned to be someone who will lead in Babylon, even though he is a follower of God. And in verse 17, <clears throat> we read about them, like it says this. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training, sorry, <clears throat> training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff bought, uh, brought all the young men and king ne- to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. They were so much, they were so impressive, they ended up being a people to lead in Babylon. What's the goal? What's the mission? As Daniel, if we look at that, the mark of success, to be so different and yet so good at what God is training us in that we become leaders here in this community the people that it's a no-brainer to be the leaders because of what God is doing in us. Does that make sense? God is able to train you and I up to be the leaders in this community, even though we're foreigners and different. Because we learn how to follow God. Hey, look at this guy serving me. You're the man. Thanks, bro. I appreciate that. So here's three things Daniel did, and you can go back and look at the verses there in Daniel chapter one, one through 16. What did Daniel do, one through 16? Here's what he did. Daniel knew God and his standards. Actually records that, read a verse three, four, five, and six, and seven. Daniel knew God's standards. The question is, do you know God's standards? If I take you out of this context, take you away from your Bible right now, put you on an island somewhere, do you know God's standards? I put you in a foreign land that has no concept of God's word and God's standards that you know from his word. What do, you, what do you know? Our goal should be to know his standards, to understand them, for them to be a part of our very being. The second thing Daniel did, God's standards were a discipline and priority. They had moved from a knowledge to a discipline. So as a foreigner living in this place as sojourners, what can we do? take our understanding of who God is and put it to practice and discipline. For Daniel, this was, this was his life. He practiced the disciplines that he learned at home and brought them into the foreign land. Let's not give up our practices, amen? They, they, they work here as they work in the heavenly realm. So we need God's standards, we need to understand them, but we need to understand them and then apply them and put them into practice here. Number three is the testing of your faith was expected. The testing of the faith was expected. Daniel went in knowing this is not gonna be easy. He had had to at one point tell his boss or the person over him, hey, I wanna do a different diet. I want a diet like I did at home. 
<clears throat> when you are pushed and someone says, hey, that's really different, or I need you to do this, are you ready to say, yes, but I want to do it God's way? You're in your space and your work and your class and your system, wherever you live, whatever you do, are you ready to say, hey, I know God's word, it's a discipline in my life, and now being asked to live different, I can say, you know what, I, I know you want me to lead or do this in this area, but, but I want to do it this way, the way that God is instructing me and asking me to do it. Do you have that courage? Do you have that boldness? That's where Daniel was. That's where Peter was. And so the question, do you know him and his word? We're leaning into this year doing a walk through the word chronologically as a church. Now, if you don't have a study you're doing, grab one on the way out. It's on the desk there just to walk through the word, to understand who God wants you to be. You gotta understand who he is. You gotta understand his standards for life, the way he wants us to do life. Then you gotta move them into disciplines. And then you gotta be ready to apply those things when it matters. One thing I do when I'm reading the Bible is I do this thing called the road. Some people do soap, right? It's like a way to like study God's word. Like I'm looking at it, okay, I'm making an observation and I need to put it to practice in my life. That's, that's soap. I do road, it's just a quick acronym. I write it down my notebook page and okay, God, what do I recognize right now? Like what do you want me to recognize in this scripture? As I read this scripture today, God is saying there's something that should be different about my life. So I'm recognize that, God. And I want to own that thing. And so the next is own. And I want to own it. So I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to write in my journal. I mess this up, God. I tend to go along with, uh, the way of the world because I know the world more than I know you sometimes. And so I need to adjust that. Right? That's an ownership statement. That's a repentance thing. As a people, we should be repentant. And so I put that in my, in my journal. When I'm reading the scripture, I want, to, I want to own it, repent, and move. So the next thing is action. I write down an action step. I need to memorize this scripture, several others about God to grow. That's an action step. If, I, if I'm looking at that scripture and I feel like, man, I just, I'm not getting this God. So an action step could be, and I'll write this in my journal, I need to memorize this scripture. Right? And, the, and the D is devote. It just helps me move from, I'm gonna do this one time to me doing this in a pattern like Daniel. Right? I want to move the word into my life in a way that, that people are going to see me live differently. You, you're with me, church? So devoting, I'm going to devote myself to this as a routine daily, and I'll write down what that devotion is. It's a call for us to get serious. It's a call for us to move in expectation. What is God going to do this year? And I, I said this to the leadership board. If you want to stand with me, as I was... <clears throat> praying for the church over the year and thinking about where we're going, what we're doing. I just had a real sense God is taking us, and many of us, on a journey this year through some stuff. You guys aware of that? Like in life, there's always stuff. And so I'm anticipating some stuff this year. There was some stuff last year. It was gross. And now I'm aware, God, there's gonna be more stuff ahead. But your word tells me, your word tells me that I should be ready for that. That I need to know you more, to move into a life that is actively living out what you call me to. And so God, I wanna devote myself to that. I wanna prepare my heart for that. 
So we're gonna go into a time of worship now and I just ask you, hey God, if there's something you want me doing different, if there's something you wanna lead me in, God, would you move me to change? Give me a recognition. Help me to recognize what it is you need me to move in and help me to own it today, I pray. Father, would you do that in our midst today? We expect you, fully expect you to move. It's good to be together, but it's even better to be shaken and stirred and sent out. So this week, God, we're expecting you to do something deep in our hearts to move us to change. Do that in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name.